0: Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we start a two-week series with Steve Kim from Apologetics Canada, talking about worldviews and engaging non-Christians.
1: And so we're living in a very much pluralistic world, and it's just not enough to just know your own worldview. Now you have to sort of start to understand where everybody else is coming from. And that's gonna help you to have an intelligent conversation about the things that really matter to them. And that's going to open a lot of doors, I think, in terms of evangelism, as well
0: as strengthening your own faith. Hey, it's Isaac. Hope you're doing well. Um, I'm looking forward to the next two weeks, uh, specifically the conversations that you're going to hear. Now some of you listening have been listening from the beginning, and I just want to say thank you so much for your, you know, obviously your dedication and your ears each week. But many of you are new listeners or maybe you've listened kind of on and off. And I say all this because I'm going to be replaying or re-airing the next two conversations. Now last May, when INDA wasn't as popular as it was today, um, we played some really important conversations that I want, you know, to kind of be aired again uh, for the purpose of allowing them to be heard by more people. And even if you did listen to them like I did, obviously I had the conversation, uh, I just re-listened and they're still very important and still relevant to us today. Um, As you heard at the beginning, we're going to be getting into worldviews. Um, You know, although times are changing rapidly, what Steve Kim said from Apologetics Canada last year, it was and it still is extremely relevant to us today. This week he gets into the basics of what exactly a worldview is, and then next week he'll be addressing what some of the most popular worldviews are in our day, like you know, atheism and relativism and naturalism, things like that. And not only that, but how we as Christians can begin to engage people with different worldviews other than our own. So, anyways, here's my conversation with Steve Kim. Hey, I'm in the studio today with Steve Kim. Steve works at Apologetics Canada as the uh, associate right?
1: Yeah. Uh, associate. I know that's not a very descriptive yeah. <laughs> uh, title, but all that it means is that I'm Andy's bondservant. Uh, Andy's, bond servant. Andy's that's, bondservant. That's how I describe myself. Gotcha. So.
0: <laughs> and uh, Andy is uh, Andy Steiger, for those who right. don't know, who's the director.
1: Director, yeah. yeah so he's okay. the head honcho.
0: That's awesome. What's a quick kind of self bio for those who, who don't know you?
1: Me? Um, well, here's my brief life story I was born and raised in South Korea and uh, at the age of about 14, my family moved to Canada, and uh, yeah, I've been here since. I went to Columbia Bible College here in town in Abbotsford, did my uh, diploma in worship arts, uh, and then moved on to do my Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies, teaching emphasis. And then for a while there, I, I wanted to be a Bible translator with Wycliffe, so I actually went on to act seminaries at Trinity Western University mm-hmm. um, in Langley. And I was enrolled in their Master of Linguistics and Exegesis program. It's a two-year program that basically turns you into a Bible translator. And I did my one year, my first year there. I met a gal, got married, and the whole plan went out the window. Um, Usually happens, doesn't it? Yeah. We took our first year off of church commitments. I mean, we attended our Sunday services, but like ministry commitments and, and school and things like that. So we took a year off, and it was during that year that I really started rethinking what it was that i was really passionate about after much deliberation i came to the conclusion that yeah i really want to get involved in apologetics Mm. because in my early 20s i had actually walked away from my faith i I was hanging out a lot with my high school friends most of whom were non-christian they all had some kind of a church background but by the time I knew them, they had all walked away, almost all of them. Okay. And some of them were quite hostile towards it. They weren't hostile towards me necessarily, but about the church, they yeah. were very hostile. But these were my friends, and these were the guys and gals that I always hung out with. See, here's here's something that a lot of listeners might be able to kind of resonate with, and it's that when we're hanging out with our non-Christian friends, when when they want to make a comment about Christianity— Often, it'll happen within earshot, but not necessarily addressed to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened with me a lot of the times. They would make a comment about, oh, you know, the Bible being a translation of a translation of a translation kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But that was never addressed to me. But that comment was made within my earshot without even eye contact or anything like that. So it made it really difficult to engage with them. So what ended up happening was uh, I, I just had to hear it. Yeah. Over and over again, right? And then after a while, uh, yeah, lies told to you enough times will start sounding really convincing to you.
0: And you, you, were you uh, kind of coming back at those comments, or did you just sort of stay silent? Um,
1: for one, I didn't even know how to come back at mm-hmm. it, uh, and so I was unequipped, and that was part of the problem. And when I did try to engage them, it was it was a little bit awkward. It just made me sound like the really defensive guy, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the guy that has to chase after every comment that's made to correct it, to, to defend his faith, which I thought was a bit of a, a an unfair setup yeah. because it was my friends that were making these comments. But uh, the long and the short of it, I eventually started to get convinced that their stories were true, their comments were true. And I eventually walked away from my faith and remained an atheist for a number of months before I actually came back to the faith. And so in that whole episode, I started getting acquainted a little bit with apologetics. I mean, I started talking to people and a number of years later, somebody that I knew from church recommended Lee Strobel's The Case Mm -hmm. for Christ. And that was my first real uh, start at apologetics, Uh, actually looking into it, studying into it. And one thing led to another. So by the time I went to Columbia Bible College, I I was really interested in apologetics already. Yeah. And by the time I got married and we were taking the first year off, I, I thought to myself, you know, I, I would really like to help other people deal with these questions because if I went through it, somebody else is for okay. sure. And so um, eventually I uh, started... Actually, right around this time, too, I started hearing about Apolitics Canada for the first time. Okay. And uh, I attended the second conference in yeah. Surrey, and that's where I met Andy. I didn't really get to talk to him much, but he was hosting the Thinking Series afterwards. Okay. And that's where I got to really talk to him. And eventually he said, why don't you come work with me? on the condition that I will go on to do my master's in Christian apologetics, which is what I did. I took my two years, I I did my time at Biola University. Uh, They have a very solid apologetics program. And I did that while I worked here in Abbotsford. The rest is history, as they say. I just finished my degree last December, and now I'm sort of in the the rest mode where I'm not really reading much of anything. You're just, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm like,
1: I'm taking four months, off of reading or anything like that. just But it all starts again in in May.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Your story is neat. You know, you went to the other side. So you kind of got the sort of understanding of an atheist almost, right? You're sort of... Now, I was going to ask, did you kind of make that public to those Christian friends Um, and family, maybe?
1: Yes and no. I, I let some of my friends know, okay. but it wasn't like I was going out just kind of advertising. Okay, I, I'm not terribly close to my family mm-hmm. and they didn't really care whether I was atheist or not. Okay. They probably would have thought that was a little bit odd, but mm, they didn't really care mm-hmm. in the end. So I, it wasn't like I was being ostracized right. socially okay. or anything like
0: that. Oh, that's good. Um, so we're in a two-week series called What Do I Say? It's a series that kind of just introduces the, the question and topic of kind of how to engage non-believers. That's very broad. It's huge. I know that. It's just, so that's why we're just going to introduce it. Um, specifically, what do we say? What do we talk about? You know, say you have a, an agnostic friend or a skeptic or maybe just an atheist who they just say they're an atheist. Those kind of people. How do we engage them? I thought it'd be best to kind of start off with just determining what exactly a, a worldview is. So what is is a worldview?
1: A worldview is a system of beliefs that you have about the world. It is a way, well, that you view the world. A simpler way of putting it would be a take on ultimate reality. What do you think this world is actually like? That that is your worldview. And so uh, things like atheism, for example, views like atheism says there is no God, that's a way in which atheists make sense of this world. That's what they believe about this world. That's their take on reality. Uh, just as Christians will say, well, Jesus is the son of God, and he did die and rise from the dead, and, and that through him we can be one with, you know, we can be restored to the Godhead, the yeah. Trinity again. Uh, that, that's another way of looking at it. And Buddhists, likewise, they have this idea that This world is really an illusion, Uh, really behind the veil there is nothing, depending on which stream of Buddhism you go into.
0: So these sets of beliefs, what you believe about ultimate reality, Mm -hmm. so if that's your worldview, Mm -hmm. then how you live your life, I mean, these beliefs are going to affect what you do, or it should, at least.
1: That's correct, because sometimes people believe one thing, but then they live as though that's not true. The way you look at the world is basically the way you look at, well, not just the world in the sense of our universe, but this world in the broader sense will include God, anything outside of our universe, if there is anything. So our views about God, our views about the world, our views about ourselves all of these things will have an impact on your actions. So for example, uh, I know this is not a very popular view among my atheist friends, but Dr. Richard Weikart from Cal State University, uh, Stanislav, he wrote a book called From Darwin to Hitler. And what he was arguing was that the Darwinian view of the world had a direct impact on what Hitler did. So his, his views on race, Right and the superiority of the Aryan race, the ubermensch, sort of the superhuman that he right. was trying mm-hmm. to create by uh, manipulating our gene pools, that sort of a thing. Uh, a lot of his views seem to have this connection to Darwinism. Now, that is not to say though, that if you're a Darwinist, if you, if you believe in Darwinism, that you're automatically like Hitler. Obviously not, we're not saying that. But while Darwinism may not be what, Philosophers call a sufficient condition for say something like the holocaust uh, I would argue that it's a necessary condition So all that is to say what you believe about the world absolutely will have an impact as Christians We believe that well, I guess Jews and Christians We believe that people are made in the image of God Which means that each person is infinitely more valuable than the whole universe combined the material universe combined So that obviously is going to have an impact on how you treat people, or at least it should have an impact on how you treat people, how you view certain even political issues like abortion or euthanasia, things that have to do with the the living and the dying of the person. Yes, it will impact uh, these things.
0: Definitely. So if we look at the Christian worldview, and you said worldview usually has to do with God, or the supernatural, the world, and people. So if we look at the Christian worldview, you just kind of explained the Christian worldview would say that people are made in the image of God. What about, what about the world and what about God?
1: Right. We would say, contrary to, for example, uh, some of the Eastern philosophies, we would argue that the world is not eternal, that the world is a contingent reality, meaning it depends on the creative act of something else, namely God and that God and the world are completely separate. We're not the same in essence, which is what some Buddhists and Hindus, for example, would believe, because they're pantheistic worldviews, meaning all is God. Whereas Christians would believe that no, God is, well, God, and then he created the world, and the world is not God. It's it's very much a separate thing. And yeah, he, he created human beings, but he created them in a very special way. For example, if you look at the, the Genesis creation account, you see that whereas everything else he simply creates by fiat, like by uh, his act of speaking, for example, you know, let there be, and there were all these animals and, and birds, uh, fish, that sort of a thing. But with human beings, he takes special care. He actually um, molds this earth, he, yeah. he kind of Pulls the dirt together and then he breathes into it, there. So sort of imparting uh, his spirit, so to, so to speak. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a very heretical thing to say, but uh, no, no. so to speak, you know, yeah. he kind of gives us a little bit of himself, mm-hmm. like, which we would call the image of God. Right. Yeah. So um, th- those would be some of what Christians believe. Uh, of course, a, a central component in the Christian worldview would be our view of sin and salvation and how we quote-unquote attain salvation. Exactly. Uh, of course, we're, we, we don't believe that. We work towards it, but Christ has done all of the work for us. Um, and, and so the person of Christ is very much central to the Christian worldview.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. As you're talking, I'm just thinking about how I think of myself that I, I would say that I hold to a Christian worldview, right? So I open the Bible, I read it, and i I kind of understand um how I'm supposed to view and worship God, the triune God. i'm I know what the gospel is and how the world is broken and needs to be saved and be redeemed by Jesus, and I see people. My respect for them now obviously I'm broken, and I'm not going right. to be able to fulfill all those things all the time. So sometimes my actions are contrary to my beliefs. But, right. then I, but then I think of my, my friend, who I would say he's an agnostic, he doesn't really care to think about any of this stuff. So he wouldn't actually say, this is the worldview I hold to, but we can kind of look at his actions and sort of bring them backwards and find out what his worldview is.
1: Yeah, I find that a lot of agnostics, I, I have a number of agnostic friends, and I find that a lot of my agnostic friends are de facto atheists mm-hmm. in the way they look at the world. They share a lot of the same common grounds. but Uh, One thing where they kind of differ on is whereas atheists will say, well, I don't believe that God exists, uh, agnostics will say, well, it's possible that God exists. I don't know. That's what agnosticism means. It just just means that you don't know. Uh, You could be agnostic about many other things, but in this case, with respect to the existence of God, they'll say, I don't know. Whereas atheists, they'll say, no, God doesn't exist. They make more of a positive affirmation. Although that trend is getting reversed a little bit. But, yeah, a lot of agnostics, they, they live as though they are atheists, right. in effect.
0: Right. Even though they might not say that they are atheists. They're living that way. Why is it important for Christians to consider their worldview? A lot of Christians, they don't actually think, okay, hey, this, is, this is my set of beliefs and this is how I'm going to live these out. And, and why is it important for them to know theirs, but also to consider the worldview of other people as well?
1: Well, um... For one, eternity is at stake, right? If you really think that yes, God exists and that human beings are at least post fall, right? By nature, we're sinful and that we actually deserve eternal damnation. But the good news is that Christ has done all of the work and by placing our trust in him and what he has done for us, we can actually be with God again, the way we were meant to be right from the start. God's original intention for us, which is to be with him. We can actually have that back, and that's going to be for all eternity. Obviously, it's it's very important whether you are immortal or whether this world is all there is, and that once you die, you're just eaten by worms and that's it, which is what atheism would logically lead you to more specifically atheistic naturalism, will get you there, right? So obviously your worldview has huge implications. And again, like we said earlier, that's going to determine in large part how you're going to live your life if you actually take your beliefs seriously. If you actually believe, for example, as these militant Muslims would do, if you actually believe that Allah is commanding you to kill the infidels, then yeah, that will lead them to you know, the bombing of Brussels and things like that. I'm not saying that all Muslims are like that. I know lots of Muslims who are very peaceful people. But again, all that is showing is that if you actually believe things deeply, and if you take your belief seriously, it can lead to all kinds of very, a large variety of practical consequences, uh, which can have, you know, life or death implications for a lot of people. The second reason, I guess, is because, especially in a country like Canada and the United States or any Western world, really, um, you're coming across a lot of different people. I mean, you just walk down downtown Vancouver, you know, in just a couple blocks, easily you'll hear three, four different languages spoken. And typically with different languages come different culture, right? Different cultures and with different cultures come different worldviews, especially in a place like Vancouver, you'll see all kinds of worldviews, anything from Christianity, Judaism, Islam, to Buddhists, Hindus, Hare Krishna, or you might come across Mormons, Scientology. There is actually the Church of Scientology building right in downtown. And and so we're living in a very much pluralistic world. And it's just not enough to just know your own worldview. Mm -hmm. Now you have to sort of start to understand where everybody else is coming from. And that's going to help you to have an intelligent conversation about the things that really matter to them. And that's going to open a lot of doors, I think, in terms of evangelism, as well as strengthening your own faith. Because uh, if you kind of grew up in a Christian environment like I have, Chances are when you go on to, you know, high school or college or university, especially in in college and university, you'll come across all kinds of worldviews, and you might find that your views are even getting attacked by people. We're living in a pluralistic world. I don't think it's an option anymore to at least have some rudimentary understanding of what other people believe.
0: That's good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Steve, and I look forward to talking with you next week as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You know, it's really important that we hear about worldviews because, you know, if we don't, we might share the gospel, let's say, in a way that doesn't really make sense to the other person. It'd be like me going to, you know, across, you know, overseas into a culture that I have no idea, you know, who the people are, what their, you know, race is all about and what their language is and, you know, saying words and phrases and making gestures with my hands that might completely, you know, not make sense. Now, evangelism and, you know, someone being saved through evangelism is not based on our ability to somehow, you know, contextualize the gospel in such a, you know, such a great way so that the person, you know, must be converted. You know, the Holy Spirit is the means for salvation in someone. And I love the conversation that Jesus had with uh, a religious figure in the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, named Nicodemus. And you can actually read about this in John chapter 3. You know, Jesus is making this, you know, clear point that being born again, you know, which is the very Christian way of saying becoming a Christian, is through this supernatural act that has to do with spiritual things, not our physical minds or our physical bodies or anything like that. Jesus then says this in verse 8. He says, "The wind, in a very poetic way, obviously, uh, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, the spirit goes and saves people. You know, he's not dependent on our ability to know worldviews and, you know, to speak really well to someone. And I thank the Lord for that. You know, I love what Paul says uh, when he writes his first letter to the Corinthian church. He says this in chapter two, verses one through five. He says this, and I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Love that. He So you can totally understand that Paul is getting at this idea that it's not in wisdom, it's not in our lofty speech our eloquent speech, it's it's really in the spirit of God. But at the same time, understanding worldviews and understanding how to engage people are awesome ways in which God can and does, you know, save people people. Again, in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, Paul goes on to say this in a completely different place in the same letter, verses uh, 19 to 23. He says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. You can notice the pattern there. I have become all things to all people, he says, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So you can see from that point of view, Paul is saying, I'm becoming like these other people. I'm sort of acting like them. I'm maybe participating in some of the same behaviors they are behaving so that I can talk to them and sort of contextualize the gospel to them. So there's this, there's this both end. Yes, it is the Spirit's work, but at the same time, we need to strive to be able to talk well to people in different areas of life. Now, you might be one of the many Christians, and I'm including myself in here, um, that you struggle with sharing the gospel. You know, we might be interested in worldviews and so on, but our motivation to learn about worldviews and how to engage uh, non-Christians needs to come from a heart that's burning to tell people about Jesus. Now, I personally heard the name Jesus probably within the first hour of breathing for the very first time. You know, I grew up with parents who consistently taught me, discipled me, and modeled to me what it meant to live as a Christian in this world. And because of this, you know, I've come to, you know, be have the certainty of mind that the only way, the only truth, and the only life is found in Jesus. But here's the question. Why do I tell other people about him? You know, more specifically, why do I tell my friends? You know, isn't it offensive to tell someone that there's only one true way to live? Can we all just respect each other's beliefs? You know, I'm going to give you three reasons why you and I should tell others about Jesus. The first reason is this. We have to You know, there are multiple places in scripture where we are told and expected to spread the truth of Jesus and the gospel to everyone. So here are a few. First one's found in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It might be familiar. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Sort of shorten it there. Again, in Matthew 10, verse 7, it says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, in Acts 10, 42, he says, and he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people And to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You know, we are called by God to be his witnesses to all peoples of the earth. We have to tell. It's the first reason. The second reason is we get to, you know, I didn't believe in the gospel based on some, you know, slick sales pitch, some apologist kind of told me. No, I believed in it because it came alive in me. You know, Jesus isn't some add on in my life. He is my life. So why wouldn't I want to share the goodness and beauty of Jesus with others? Jesus said he came to earth so that we may have life and have it abundantly. You know, I've experienced that life and I get to share this life with my friends. You know, we get to tell others about. Jesus. And thirdly and simply, we need him. You know, every soul is broken and in need of the good news of the gospel. So there are a few reasons why we share the gospel and why we should learn about worldviews and how to engage non-Christians should be the motivation. Anyways, that wraps up In Doubt. If you're listening on the radio right now, that's awesome. And if you are, tell us and we're going to mention you on one of the next few shows. You can tweet us at In Doubt Show on Twitter. You can Facebook us, just search In Doubt on Facebook or you can email us at info at indote.ca. And keep in connection with us throughout the week on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. And if you have a topic you're interested in or a guest you'd like to hear from, tell us about it. You can do it through the ways that I already mentioned above. And as always, we are a charity. You know, we don't sell our show or anything to gain a profit. We rely on the finances of others who believe in our mission. Now, if you're interested in donating to InDoubt, just click the donate button at InDoubt.ca if you live in Canada and InDoubt.com if you live in the States. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we talk about the most popular worldviews and how to engage non-Christians with Steve Kim from Apologetics Canada.